Let's magnify uh, this great king that we worship, this God who's been so kind to us. And as we gather this morning to to worship the Lord, we uh, praise God for all the uh, many gifts that he's given us. And and one of those gifts and one of our greatest gifts is the children that we have amongst us. Amen? Amen. And we praise God for them leading us in worship this morning in such a, a powerful powerful, powerful way. And we just want to start off by saluting all of our dads uh, that's here today, amen, by saying happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to you. And we take time to salute our fathers because uh, fathers are important. Um, It is said that in a scripture the word father occurs uh, more than 1,100 times. And that is twice as much as the word love. Twice as much as the word love. We know that God is a God of love, but we also know that he is our heavenly father and he models father for us. And there's plenty of pictures of fathers throughout the scripture. The role of a father is so important. So to our dads, we salute you and we say happy Father's Day. And we pray that today is going to be a day filled with blessings, filled with encouragement, and filled with the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to you on this day. And as we acknowledge uh, those fathers uh, today, we also want to acknowledge that Father's Day just elicits a whole bunch of different emotions for us. Uh, For some of us, uh, celebrating Father's Day makes us sad because we reflect upon uh, our father who uh, may have passed on. And for others, Father's Day may be tough, uh, maybe because you lost a child or you're unable to have one. And we just want to acknowledge that today with you and say we we sit with you and we uh, we mourn with you, but we are are confident that God has a word for you and that God is a God who uh, steps into our situation and who gives us peace in place of our pain. Um, After today's sermon, each uh, father who is here will receive a, a free book that is called Time with God for Fathers. And we're giving this uh, to you today as a, as a gift. It's a wonderful, short, devotional book where um, each page is just a good nugget about being a father and points us to God the Father, who is our Father. At this time, if you could stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand, and if you could turn to Genesis chapter 22, as we look through at verses 1 through 17 today. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. We're going to break away from our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to just talk about, uh, from the subject, an amazing father, an amazing father. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 17. Next week, I want to put a plugger in. We're diving back into the book of Corinthians, and we're going to start uh, sort of a, a relationship series as we'll be talking about a singleness and marriage from God's design and how the Lord helps us to be content in both. Uh, next week is going to be a, a very uh, hot topic, um, steaming topic that you don't want to miss. And uh, for those who are uh, husbands here, trust me, you want to be here and you want your wife here as well. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 17. Uh, Let us read God's word together. 
And it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his, up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkeys. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they had came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do nothing, anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and looked in the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Amen. Today we want to tag this text, An Amazing Father. Amazing Father. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the worship that has went forth already. Thank you, Father God, for going before us and setting the atmosphere, Father God, for allowing our minds to think on you. And what a great thought you are, Father God, for you are amazing. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, Father God, and you are an all-caring God. So as we come before you to hear your word, I pray, Father God, that you would capture our attention and draw it to your word, beat our minds to submission, allow us to leave this place praising you, our Jehovah Jireh. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would go before us. Let every word, Father God, glorify you. Search our hearts. We pray for our dads today. We pray for our fathers, Lord. Pray, Father God, that you will strengthen them, Lord, and allow us to be men on mission. We pray for the pastors in this community that's mounting the pulpit and that's preaching your gospel. 
that you allow your gospel to go forth in Newburgh. We also pray for Newbury. We also pray, Father God, for Pastor Jesus, our Hispanic pastor who's preaching away this morning, Father God, that you would guide his words and allow your message, Father God, to pierce the heart of many. We pray that your word would go out all throughout this city, Father God, and do what it does. Thank you for the promise that it will not come back void to you, Father, that it always accomplishes that which it sets out to. Allow us to humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look at this passage this morning, it is easy for us to kind of see in advance uh, where we think the sermon is going and kind of just kind of block it out. Uh, Because this is a familiar text and also it just seems pretty easy on a Father's Day to preach, right? Right. to look at this text and to look at, at Abraham and to see how he boldly did what God called him to do. And it would seem that it's only right that we conclude that, okay, this is the message today. We need to be like Abraham. We need to boldly make a sacrifice like him and trust God like him, and that's it. And it's easy for us to look at this text and say, yeah, Abraham is the amazing father. And we should learn and see how he was amazing so that As dads, we can be amazed. The name Abraham, or Abram, actually means exalted father. Abraham, the father of many nations. It would only seem right that that's what we conclude this morning, but um, that's actually not the angle that we're coming from. Abraham is not the, the prototype father that's on display in this text. God is. And this text is not about Abraham as a father. This text is about God as an amazing father. When we see the story and narrative of scripture, we we quickly see that no one in the Bible is really a superhero. And no one is perfect, that everyone has flaws and everyone has mistakes. And there is really only one person who is the hero and only one person who is amazing, and that is God the Father. This story begins with God the Father. And in the middle, we see God the Father giving Abraham the faith that he needs to be obedient. And at the end, we see God the Father on display by providing for Abraham. This is not a story about Abraham as an amazing father. This is a story about God, our father, as an amazing father who empowers fathers to do amazing things. Let's look at God the Father. We're going to break this text up. Uh, into three scenes or three parts. And and after we break it up into three scenes and three parts, we're going to narrow in and have some practical examples or applications for dads this morning. And if you're not a a father and if you're not a male, the the good thing is, is that this sermon applies to you as well. You can simply take out the vision of father and insert yourself no matter what situation you're in because God's word speaks to us. But I'm going to be very intentional to talk to dads today because fathers are so important. They're the linchpin in in our society. And without healthy fathers, there will not be healthy families. And without godly mentors who serve as fathers for those who don't have fathers in the home, our young boys and our young women will have some, some serious wounds. So we're going to address this by looking at God the Father. And the first thing we see in the story and in the scene is that God tests Abraham. God tests Abraham. 
We pick up in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Right away, we see that the author of the story wants us to know that we are about to read a story about God testing a man named Abraham. And the author warns the reader, he lets us know as readers that something peculiar is about to happen by pointing out the fact right away in the first verse that this is a test. Because the thing that God is about to tell Abraham is so shocking that the reader who's reading this for the first time needs to be warned that this was just a test. And what does God tell Abraham? He tells Abraham that he wants him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. We see that God tests Abraham right away. There's a few reasons why this command is shocking. The first reason that this this command is shocking is that God, as we know, is against child sacrifices. We know that God is a holy God, a just God, a a righteous God. He does not advocate child sacrifices. The Bible says that he is for the widow and that he is for the orphan. But yet we see God telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, kill his son. But we know that that's not the, the heart of God, so it shocks us. After all, this is the same God that spoke earlier in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, who said, whoever sheds the blood of a human shall that person's blood be shed. God is against murder. It's the same God who later commanded to Moses to to tell Israel, thou shall not murder. It's the same God who warned Israel as they were going into Canaan that they shall not be like the Canaanites and and the other religions of the world who would offer their firstborns up. As a sacrifice to idols, we know that God is not for child sacrifices. So it shocks us to see him make this command. But the second thing that shocks us is that Isaac is Abraham's promised son. He's his promised son and he's Abraham's only son. In fact, the author wants to let us know from Jump Street right away that Uh, This is that there's a great tension. Look at verse two. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. We see in verse 12, he says the same exact thing. Your son, your only son. In verse 16, he says, by myself, I sworn, declares the Lord. And you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. This is shocking for those who are reading this narrative and and reading through Genesis, even for the first time, that God would have him kill his son. And he says, your only son, your promised son. We know that Isaac was Abraham's promised son. God revealed to Abraham that he was going to bless him with a child and that this child would bless all the families of the earth and start a a new movement. 
And God delayed in giving Abraham the child. We know that Abraham was around 100 years old. His wife was around 90 years old before they had their first child. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a seed. And from your seed, uh, the whole world is going to be blessed. And your seed shall be like the stars of heaven. But yet Abraham is 10 decades in and he still doesn't have this son. And finally, God provides him with the son. And, and if we're listening to this and we're saying, what, God provided him with a son at the age of 100? That's funny. And I say, yeah, it is funny. For the person that's reading this, you're like, that's crazy. You laugh at it. And that's exactly why Isaac's name means laughter. Because it was such a ridiculous idea. But now this son that he had waited decades and decades and decades for, God is now saying, I want you to kill him. And I don't want you to just kill him. I want you to kill him in a crazy way. I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering? Let me explain to you what a burnt offering, what the, the victim or animal had to go through if they were a burnt offering. The person who was making the sacrifice would bring the animal to the altar. They would set the body there. They would then take a knife. They would slit the throat of the animal. And then they would take the animal's body and they would take each joint and break it by the joint. And then they would throw the animal piece by piece into a fire that would completely consume the animal. God says, Abraham, I need you to do that to your son. I need you to do that, that to your son. So this is, this is shocking to the person who's reading. We see that God does this, as the scripture says, as a test. He tests Abraham, a test is when God puts or allows for us to be put in a very difficult situation. And God tests us sometimes, pretty much every day in different ways. And though we may never be asked to be tested like Abraham was asked, we, we certainly are tested, tested differently each day. Some of us, we were tested on this, this week as we had our week planned out and we just saw that this week was going to be a great week and this was going to happen, this was going to happen. And it seemed like our week just fell out from the bottom. That's God testing us. That, that co-worker that annoys you, the way they chew, right? And then all of a sudden your boss moves that co-worker right next to you to work. Touch somebody say, that's a test. We all are tested in many ways, and, and Abraham was tested in many ways. And, and why does God test us? God tests us for a number of different reason, reasons. Testing, number one, stretches our faith. Testing stretches our faith. Our faith grows when it is stretched. If your faith isn't stretched, it's not going to grow. Testing teaches us to persevere. James says in James chapter 1 of his book to those Jews who are dispersed that testing produces steadfastness, or some translation says perseverance. And what is steadfastness? What is perseverance? It is the ability to stay put. It is the ability to not panic when things go wrong. God stretches our faith so that over time we will become mature, and when things fall apart, we won't panic and throw a hissy fit. Testing develops our character. 
It develops our character. Not only does it develop our character, it reveals our character. Rick Warren says that character is both developed and revealed by test, and all of life is a test. And finally, under the new covenant, we learn that testing shapes us into the image of Christ. It makes us look more like Jesus. So Abraham is being tested, and we are tested, all of us, in many ways, every single day, because God wants to stretch our faith. And sometimes we pass the test, and sometimes we fail it. But the good thing, if we are God's child, he uses them both for his good and for his glory. Abraham, this wasn't the first time that he was tested. He had a a lifetime of being tested. When Abraham was called, he was called from the land of of Ur. And the Bible says that God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Lord, here I am. He says, I want you to leave your kinfolk. I want you to leave your family and go to an unknown land. Didn't tell him where he was going. Didn't tell him why. He says, I just need you to trust me. And Abraham passed the test. He passed the test with Lot. Remember Lot and Abraham? They both see some land. They're looking to get settled in in the land. And and Lot chooses the best part of the land. And Abraham, by faith, chooses the lowest part of the land, the worst part of the land. And God blessed Abraham from taking the low road. Remember that? He passed that test. But there was other tests that he failed. Abraham, can I I tell on you for a second, man? There, 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 was other, there was other tests that he had that he failed when his wife, for example, told him to go into her handmaid because they were tired of waiting on God to provide a child. And you see, he sinfully, out of fear, went into his wife's handmaid and had a child named Ishmael. There was another time that he failed a test when he lied to Abimelech, a king, and said that his wife was his sister. Because he was scared that he was going to get killed or murdered if he did, if he told the truth. See, we all have tests and it's so easy for us to look at this test and say Abraham is a superhero and the people in the Bible are heroes and, and we can't aspire, we can't live lives of faith like that. But the truth of the matter is, is they're messed up just like we are. And sometimes we fail and sometimes we pass just like sometimes they fail and sometimes they pass. God tests Abraham. And God tests us to to stretch us, to teach us to persevere, to develop our character, to make us look more like Jesus. But second, we see that Abraham's faith and obedience on display in this text. We see his faith and obedience on display. Verse number three, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. And I and a boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So we see God test Abraham, and then we see Abraham's faith and obedience. I love this text because not only did Abraham, by God's grace, have faith and obedience, but it was a gut-wrenching faith and obedience. Remember, God told Abraham to go and to kill his only son, Isaac. And then we read in the text that the Bible says the next verse that Abraham got up early in the morning. 
to go and do what God is early in the morning? I don't know about you, but if God told me to go and kill my only son, that would be one morning that I would sleep in. I'm sleeping in. I'm twisting, I'm turning. I'm sleeping in. But not only does Abraham not sleep in, he gets up early to to obey, but we see that he doesn't even put up a fight. And we know that Abraham can can put up a fight with God because when God came to Abraham and said that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember Abraham's response? Wait a minute, Lord. Before you wipe this nation out, if there are 50 people that's righteous, will you save the city? God said, if you find 50 people, if there are 30, if you find 30 people, 20, if you find 20, I'll save this, this place. What about 10, Lord, if you find 10, right? But here we see that Abraham does not put up a fight with God. Why? Because Abraham's faith had been stretched so much for the last hundred years that now he's finally at a place that says, I know the voice of the Lord when he speaks to me, and wherever you go, I will follow. And that's something that is learned over time. That's something that you have to go through some stuff before you get there. That's something that some of my seasoned saints say, yeah, I know that's right. And some of us younger folk can look up to our seasoned saints and say, wow. Because when you go through something, You've got something to lean on the next time that you go through something. But I love what the text says. It says that that Abraham, not only did he get up early in the morning, but the journey was three days long. What do you talk about on a three-day journey with a son that God has told you to kill? What, What do you say? I can just imagine Isaac looking at his dad, and he's thinking, hey, dad, yes, son, you seem a little uptight. Look like you're about to kill somebody. (laughs) Can you see him? (laughs) And Abraham, like, son, close your mouth. (laughs) Or can't you see him coming up, hey, dad, hey, dad, when we get back home, do you think you can teach me to throw that curveball? Son, I'm about to throw you a curveball you've never seen before. But Abraham's faith led him on his journey for three days, walking with his son. The Bible doesn't say what the conversation is like, but the Bible says that he does is keep moving forward. It's because he was stressed. It's because he learned. It's because an amazing father was gracious to him before, and he had finally gotten to a place where he could trust him. In fact, we read on the story of what we just read. We see that Abraham comes to the bottom of the mountain, and he has two boys with him. And the Bible says that Abraham tells the boys, y'all stay here with the donkey, because the donkey couldn't travel up the mountain. Y'all stay here, and me and the lad, me and the boy, we're going up to worship. Now, is this Abraham lying again? Is he lying to the boys, just thinking, if I tell them the truth of why we're going up, that Isaac is not going to come back down, he just hadn't figured out? I, I don't believe so. I believe that this is Abraham, by faith, speaking to these young men, saying, me and the boy, we're going up to worship, and we will be back. Because Abraham was convinced. He was convinced that what God had told him before, that Isaac was going to be the father of many nations, that it had to come true. Why? Because God is not a God that lies. If he says he's going to keep you, he's going to keep you. If he says he's going to provide for you, he's going to provide for you. 
And Abraham got to that point. In fact, when you go home, read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. The writer of Hebrews shines a light on this text that helps us to understand Abraham's heart even the more. That's what we have to love about Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. It helps us to understand Scripture a little better. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, summarizing it, it says the, the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was convinced that even if he had killed his son, that God was going to resurrect his son back from the dead. See, faith is an attitude, it's a disposition that says, for all I trust him. It's a gift from God. Each is given a measure of faith, but it's something that grows. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It takes time. It takes trials. It takes situations. So if you find yourself in the midst of a test, in the midst of a trial, or you just came out of a test and came out of a trial, and you're saying, Lord, I failed. Lord, I messed up. Lord, I'm not doing good at this. I just say, keep looking to Jesus. It's going to get better. He has a way of stretching our faith. Then when he stretches it, that becomes our faith. Then he stretches our faith a little more, and that becomes our, then he stretches it a little more. So it's not about you being a a superhero and having a superhero's type faith. It's about you looking to the Father and trusting the process. Third, we see in this text that God provides for Abraham. God provides for Abraham. See that Abraham had faith and his faith led to obedience. We have to have faith, a faith that leads to obedience, faith that leads us to war against our flesh, to war against Satan, to war against our temptations. But we also want to see that God is an amazing provider. Look at your text. Verse 9. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they had came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It shall be provided. So God provides for Abraham. I'm amazed at how God took Abraham to his utter limits before he provided for him. Can you see Abraham? Puts the wood on Isaac's back to go up a hill to be a sacrifice. That's an image. Takes Isaac up this hill, lays him down. He's wrestling with God in his heart. Says, Lord, I believe in you. Stretches out his hands, probably shaking. Isaac is looking at him. God took him to the utter limit. 
before he provided. Sometimes God takes us to our utter limit before he provides. He is a faithful father, and he knows your limit. And he will provide you the faith that you need as you move in obedience. He will provide you what you need. And sometimes it may feel like you are stretching out your hand and you are about to give up. But I pray that you would hear the Father's voice, Abraham, Abraham, and you would see his provision. Isaac saw the provision. And it's amazing that Isaac saw it because Abraham didn't say, he's like, hold on, hold on, that's a ram. Yo, that's a ram. Look, look. Abraham like, what? It is a ram. Thank you. God takes us to the outer limit. He tests us. While Abraham was walking up the mountain with Isaac, God was walking up the mountain with the ram. While Abraham was tying his son up to the altar, God was tying the ram's horn up to a bush. While you are trying to figure it out, all I'm saying is God has already worked it out. So, Father, trust God as your Jehovah Jireh. Four quick, really quick, practical points and applications from this text. Dads, four things we can learn. As we look to our amazing Father, four things that we can see God empowering Abraham to do that we will be able to do under the power of the Holy Spirit. An amazing Father is one who is empowered to accept the Father's provision. Accept the Father's provision. We see that God provides a ram for Abraham. The Lord will provide for us, Father. Sometimes life is tight and sometimes it's tough and, and there is a certain pressure that is on all men. And if we don't trust the Lord's provision, we will either abandon our responsibility, abuse those who are around us, or accuse everyone around us. But when we accept the Lord's provision, we are able to step into the, the toughness of life, the, the messiness of life, the, the heartaches of life with faith, believing that God will provide. There's no reason to run. There's no reason to abandon. There's no reason to accuse. But by faith, we can step into it and stretch out our arm and believe that God is going to come through. And for that man who has the weight of the world on your shoulder, you're trying to provide for your family, I want to tell you that as you seek to provide for your sons and your daughters, know that God is providing for you. And he will provide for you to provide for your children. But the main point of this text is, is not some, uh, you know, that type of provision. This text points us to God's ultimate provision, which is Jesus. This ram is a foreshadowing, a, a, a picture before Jesus comes back on what Jesus would do for us. The Bible says, as John said, that Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. The most important provision that a father can accept in his life is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't accept that provision, you won't be able to have confidence in the rest of his provisions. Because you're not one of his. God is amazing. 
God did not allow Abraham to kill Isaac, but he did kill his own son for you and me. And Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and me. So we have to commit our hearts, commit our lives to Jesus. Second, after we embrace and accept the Father's provision and find forgiveness at the cross and our identity and being justified by Jesus, Dad, we need to fear God and not man. We need to, to fear God and not man. You know, I was just reading this text this week and doing my best to, to step into the story, you know. Anytime I read, that's why I love the Old Testament, there's just so many great stories, and I try to step into it and become that character and think of the emotions that I will feel. And you know, the first thing that came through my mind when I, when I thought about it is if God had came to me and said, Jamal, I need you to go sacrifice Josiah, your only son, Josiah, the first thing that I would have thought is, and who's going to protect my wife from killing me? <laughs> Yo, I don't care if God resurrected Josiah. Josiah comes back home, oh, mom, guess what happened today? Dad tied me up. He then sacrificed me as a burnt offering. But it was so cool. The spirit came and then I became a man again. It was kind of like Pinocchio. I was put together again and now I'm back home. My wife would skin me alive. Yes, like I was a child. <laughs> right? But Abraham was able to obey the Lord because he feared God more than man. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is ultimate reverence. He, his ultimate reverence was in God. He revered God, honored God more than man. What's the fear of man? It is taking the fear that we're supposed to have for the Lord and taking that fear and instead of fearing and honoring God and thinking about what God thinks, and how God has called us to live, it's instead to put that on a, another human being. It's to honor them and to revere them more than God. And that allows that person to control us. And it allows us to find our identity from a person rather than from God. But fathers, we have to fear God. We have to honor him, revere him more than we revere anyone else else. Now, the fear of God is freedom. It's not bondage. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to do the right thing for the right reason at the right time. The fear of God is the beginning of getting that wisdom. As we fear God, God gives us the right perspective on life and we are able to apply what we know to life and therefore we get to experience joy in God, in Jesus. That's freedom. But the fear of man is bondage. When we fear man, we are in bondage. We're constantly thinking about what they think, how they feel. We become slaves of, of their words. 
And some of us as dads, we want to look at this text and we want to see what God said to Abraham. He told Abraham, he says, Abraham, I see that you fear me. Fathers, fear God. Fear God. Don't fear your peers. Don't fear your, your co-workers who, who call you a square because you are a family man. You don't club and you don't cheat and you don't do this and that. Fear God. Now, for that husband that walks out of here and says, well, God has spoken to me and therefore, like Abraham, I need to listen to God and not listen to my wife. That's foolishness. You can't use this as a scapegoat. I'm supposed to fear the Lord and the Lord told me to do this and I don't care what you have to say. No, that's not how it works. That is a distortion of what I'm saying. No, God has given us our wives as helpmeets. He's given us the body of Christ as helpmeets. So we can't say, oh, I heard from God. And, and then what we say God has told us is completely different than what the Bible has told us or community is telling us. No, we take the wisdom that God has given his people and the help that God has given us in our wives and we wisely discern. But sometimes there comes a time when we look to God's word and we see what God clearly says that other people are going to be against it and we need to stand firm and trust the Lord. Fear God, not man. Next, walk in obedience. we look to God by faith, we are empowered to accept the Father's provision, to fear God, and not man, not mama. Some of us, mama got a hold on us. Can't lead our families, can't lead our sons, because mama don't like it, or mama want to do it this way. If you're married, what mama has to say is nice, and it may be, it may be wise, but you should care more about what God has to say, and number two, what your wife has to say, for the two shall become one flesh. He was talking about your wife, not your mama. Ooh, no, he didn't. about to say something, but yeah. We, we want to make sure we grow up. Be the, be the man that God has called you to be for your children. Walk in obedience. Abraham modeled gut-wrenching obedience. He obeyed God at all costs. If God trusts Abraham with Abraham's son, then God knows he can trust Abraham with anything else. Isaac wasn't an idol to Abraham. An idol is something that we put before God. And as fathers and as mothers, it is very easy for us to put our children before God and allow our children to become idols. But no. Whatever is our, our idol, that is what we're going to obey. That is what we're going to make sacrifices for. God, God. Was the, item in which, was the person in which Abraham worshipped, and that is who he made sacrifices for. 
What I love about Abraham is that because Abraham obeyed the voice of the father, Isaac then obeyed the voice of the father. You hear me? Abraham wasn't the only person that was put in a a precarious situation in this text. Abraham made up his mind that he was going to obey the Lord wherever the Lord sent. And he modeled obedience before his son. And I'm sure it wasn't just in this instance. I'm sure it was in, in, in previous instances that his home was a place where he worshiped God and where he obeyed God. And as a result, look at Abraham throughout this text, obeying the voice uh, Isaac throughout the sex, obeying the voice of Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham took the wood and put it on Isaac's back, and he took a few items up the mountain. Why? Because Abraham is over 100 years old. Isaac, this word boy that's used in the Hebrew, is often speaking of a teenager, someone around the age of 15. Isaac is strong and vibrant, but yet Isaac allows his frail old father to tie him up and to go to the point of killing him. Why? Because Isaac saw his father model obedience to his father. So now he's modeling obedience to his father. Fathers, model obedience. In your home, model obedience. It's it's tough for a, 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 a child to respect a parent who is religious but doesn't have a relationship. Who goes to church each week but who doesn't seek to apply God's word. It's tough. And one of the best gifts that we can give to our children is modeling obedience is when we're confronted by a sermon or confronted by a Sunday school lesson or when we hear God tell us to do something, to to do it. And we can't do it in our own strength, no. We're weak in our own strength, but we look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, empower me to, to obey your word and we walk in obedience. The last thing we see in this text is that he modeled worship. Abraham modeled worship. He modeled worship. As we look to this text, we see... In verse 7, it says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knew that something was missing from the worship service because it was modeled before. That you are the spiritual leader of your household. God has called you to model worship. What does modeling worship look like? Model worship looks like simply opening the Bible at home and reading it to your kids. Modeling worship looks like praying with your children. Modeling worship looks like taking your kids to church and to Sunday school. Modeling worship looks like teaching your children how to obey the word. And no matter where you are today, whether you've been in Christ for 20 years or you've been in Christ for 20 days, you can model worship. It's not not rocket science. 
And you'll get better with it as time goes. As you open the word and read, you'll understand it more. And and you can be honest with your son and say, son, I'm just starting on this journey, but I know I need to learn and we can learn together. So let's read a little bit out of the Bible each night and let's pray. And when he asks you a question, you say, I have no idea, but I'm going to find out and you'll know the answer tomorrow. As we look to this story, we see these practical things in place. We see that we need to accept the Father's provision. We see that we are called to fear God, not man. We see that we are called to walk in obedience, gut-wrenching obedience, to model that before our children. And lastly, to model worship. My wife's brother last year moved to California And he went to a church, and the church was pretty much doing a men's institute like we do. The men would gather together often, and they would huddle around God's word, and then they would break up into groups and talk about whatever was discussed. Well, on one particular uh, Saturday, the message was about fatherlessness and fathers. And he said that as he sat there and listened, he just began to weep as man after man just shared how broken their childhood was because dad wasn't around. Just was weeping. And after the session, he went home and he called his father. And with a heart of sincerity and a heart of brokenness, he said, Dad, I am so thankful for you. I I can see how I just took for granted you as a father. You, you modeled for me what it means to be a man and what it means to be a man of God. And so many men don't have that. Father, I just want to say thank you. And I don't care who you are today. If you grew up without a, a dad at home, if you've got a father wound the size of the Grand Canyon, I don't care who you are today, no matter how old your child is, you can look to God the Father as your father. You can look to God the Father and worship him and find strength to be a father for your children. You may not have talked to your children for five years, for ten years today. This is a call to look to the amazing Father, to accept his sacrifice, to accept Jesus, to fear God and not man and not your own plan. To walk in obedience and to to model worship. And today is the day that you start and you say, Lord, I repent for not being able to model that for my child. And today I'll run to you and I ask you to give me the strength and the power to model it better. Your child may not accept it. They may not be ready, but I'm telling you, it's a place to start. Talk to my dad this morning. Briefly just told him. Happy Father's Day, and that I loved him for modeling what it means to be a father. And his response to me was, son, I couldn't have done any of it without the Lord. And that's my message to you. Fathers, you cannot do any of what we talk to today without the Lord. And some of you here, you say, I don't have a father. And I I, I never really saw an example. I want to encourage you uh, to to continue to to reach out to other men and just be in relationship with other men so that you can see what that looks like. In September, we're starting community groups. 
That's a time when we're going to come together as a church and we're going to go to people's homes and we're going to open up the word together as families and we're going to pray together. That is a great opportunity for you to begin to see what it looks like to worship God in the home. Get plugged in. But I also want to encourage you fathers who may be a little further on on that spectrum, who, who have been looking to God as an amazing father and who, who knows what it looks like to sit at the foot of Jesus, to, to step into this world of fatherlessness and provide an example for others. Be a mentor to a young boy who doesn't have a father. Walk alongside him and say, I'm broken and I don't have it. Perfect, but I know that you don't have a male in your life and I just want to talk to you and sit with you once a week. We are at a fatherhood crisis. And I'm so glad for the men in this room who have picked up the mantle and who have looked to Jesus and said, I want to be a, a, a godly father. But we need all of our men not to just look at our biological fathers, our biological children. We need all of our men to look around us at other boys and other men and help them. Myself and Pastor Bishop was at a meeting this week with um, principals in the local area. And they were talking about how most of their children don't have fathers at home and how most of the boys are, are failing and they're, they're not succeeding and they need help. And they reached out to the churches and they said, we need you at the table. We need your that's our job as men to step up and to say life is hard for us. We may be working a, a tough job and we have family responsibilities of our own. But as a child of God, God has put us on mission to care about the least of these. And in the black community, we want to stand up as men and say the buck stops here. The reason people are wilding out, the reason our children are so broken, the reason the hip-hop community is so angry and, and bringing such a volatile message is because they didn't have fathers. Lil Wayne didn't have a father that loved him. And God has given us himself and the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, will we say, like Abraham, here? in our brokenness, with our own father wounds, can we say, here I am? And that's a test for us all. That's a, a test for us all to stretch out our hand and to trust that God is going to provide us what we need as men to make an impact in this community and to make an impact in the lives of our sons and daughters. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that you would just be with